0: I've been telling you on the show to be paying attention to Michigan State. Head coach Robin Freilich is here to make the case herself. Lots to get into. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumbo wallet. for the win.
1: You are Locked on Women's Basketball.
0: Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, and I want to thank you for making us your first listen every day. Over 170,000 of you showed up in December alone, the way we show up for you six days a week. We are on pace to break that here in January. The numbers just keep going up because we are all here about the sport that we care about. And it's not just me. It is the entire group over at the next at the next We have over a hundred reported pieces every single month on the past, present and future of women's basketball. Make sure you're subscribing, get it all right to your inbox. Every time there's a new pod, it's right in your inbox. Every time we report breaking free agency news, it's in your inbox, $9 a month, $72 a year, the next hoops.com. And so we've spent a lot of time on the Big 10 which has grown to Coach what do you you have 37 teams in the Big 10 starting next year is that right? Do I have that number right?
1: Something like that something yeah that's close.
0: <laughs> it's it's been incredible but that means that sometimes teams get overlooked and Michigan State in your first year cannot, should not, and if I have anything to say about it, will not be overlooked. So we're going to be talking in segment one about your pathway to get there in segment two. We're going to get nerdy and talk about some of the numbers because, gee, this looks a lot like a certain Bowling Green team that I saw last year. And so I don't think that is any coincidence. But I want to start with your background. You are a Michigan product, I know. Take me through your discovery of the love of basketball
1: so interestingly i'm from east lansing eric born and raised here so it's it's quite a blessing to be back Uh, but interestingly in my family i'm actually the only person who plays basketball so uh my dad was an all-american swimmer in high school my brother played baseball and golf he still plays golf a lot Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, it was basketball was, was my love. And um, I started playing in third grade down at the Lansing Salvation Army. Actually, Javier Cavazos was my first coach. He was at our game uh, the other night against Maryland. So it was awesome to see him. Mm -hmm. And I just, I loved it. I kind of found a passion for it early. Um, And so it's kind of always been mine. Um, I don't feel like I grew up with kind of everyone telling me what to do or how to do it with basketball. I kind of carved my path. And I uh, was fortunate to play at Davidson College, and then from there, um, I actually had no idea I was going to coach. But when I finished playing, I had a really good internship that summer out with a sports marketing company, and I just missed basketball so much. Um, so got into coaching right after that, and here we are.
0: you It's so interesting. I mean, you talk about not kind of knowing – what that path is. And I feel like, so we're contemporaries. And so I think about that time where like Title IX was the given. We've never lived in a time without Title IX. But understanding what the professional path is beyond Title IX is something that's very much a life concern, something that is really being, quite frankly, still litigated to this day. And so you went to sports marketing, but like, did you have a, gee, this is my go-to. If somebody had said to you right out of Davidson, this is going to be my profession, what would you have said?
1: I would have probably thought they were crazy. (laughs) I knew I loved it. Uh, I knew even when I was playing and I was um, out doing a sports marketing internship, I still always found somewhere to play. I kind of always had this path and passion to basketball. It was something that was just part of my daily life. Um, But the coaching path, yeah, I I don't think I understood it. I I don't think I had a real context of of what that would mean. Mm I my passion for basketball kind of kept bringing me back to it.
0: It's so interesting. You talk about how you were kind of late to that discovery. And uh, for those at home who may not know, you, you're on the staff at Appalachian State, Western Michigan, Toledo. But we have to talk about Ashland University and the run you had there. My favorite stat is that during the period from 1516 through 1718. Your record was one hundred four and three. How disappointed were those three losses?
1: I laughed because that's all anyone asked me about. You know, and I remember them all really well, Ah. very very vividly. Uh, But I was just—I was really fortunate to. I coached a great team, uh, credible players, great support for women's basketball. And at that time, I was an assistant. Before that, for seven years as a Division II assistant Mm -hmm. for to Ramsey. And I know that you had mentioned title nine and she was a real trailblazer for title nine and really sort of, um, broke that, you know, opened up a lot of avenues for me and for, for the young women we got to coach. So I feel like my appreciation really went up working for someone like coach Ramsey of just the, the fight, um, that had gone into the opportunities we got. And I was just, I don't, if you get to know coach Ramsey, he's probably the happiest coach In America you know and coaching we're sort of can be on the emotional spectrum and you know find a lot of things wrong and 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 she was just the opposite she just had such a joy for what she did so I think so much of who you become is who you kind of are learn under so I was really fortunate to learn under somebody who just loved what she did every day.
0: It, it is absolutely significant. And the fact that we, and we talk about this all the time, just internally at the next that these Title IX pioneers who were with us, you know, people who are in many ways present at the creation for so much of women's sports and obviously specifically women's basketball, telling those stories matters. So I'm so glad you brought her up. Uh, I, I do have to point out, and again, this gets into some things we're going to talk more about in segment two, but at Ashland in 2017, 2018, you can go look and see number one in assist to turnover ratio. You guys are top five in the country in taking care of the basketball and distributing the basketball. It's a thing that serves as a statistical through line for everywhere you have been a head coach. What are basic principles that you learned there that you have taken into your coaching because it's happened everywhere you've gone and it's happened immediately, which is the part that blows my mind.
1: Well, ball movement and player movement lead to good basketball. So I think wherever you coach and, and interestingly too, at Ashland at BG and at Michigan state, we have changed and tweaked what we've done offensively. It hasn't been just a carbon copy um, of, of each spot we've had just according to the personnel and the level of what's what's more effective. But I think ball movement and player movement at any level is good offense. And something we do a lot in every program I've coached is we just talk a lot about a good shot and a bad shot. And it's not personal, and it's not an attack. It's, it's funny, it's sort of like parenting, just being consistent and making sure every time you know, you're consistent with what's a good shot, what's a bad shot, that's in practice, that's in film. And what's a good shot and what's a bad shot looks a little different for each player too. And you earn you earn the right for some of those shots to be good shots. So um, I think that that's been a big part of kind of the consistent. You, see, you've seen with assist to turnover ratio and high assists. And I just think good passing teams are harder to guard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when you have a team, a whole team um, that you have to guard and that you feel accountable to defensively. Um, you know you're harder to guard, so we just we try to work really hard at playing team basketball.
0: I'm going to have to adopt this, obviously, for parenting. Uh, to your, <laughs> point. I'm going to have to talk about the difference between good time, to- good bedtime, and bad bedtime, and see because you made it sound so simple. And I I just have to point out, and 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 maybe this is something for me to say instead of you, but just at a point of personal privilege. I talk to so many coaches, they talk about the difference between good shots and bad shots. That is a very common thing to be talked about. Your teams live it. Your teams do it every single time. So, again, the messaging is not just consistent, but it also gets through. So, you know, we've seen that here. We've seen it, at Bowling Green, you know, that run to the, it, I, I think it was called the Fab Four, not the final four of the WNIT, um, but, you know, functionally the, the semifinals for it. We've seen it throughout. And then, you know, bringing this to Michigan State in a conference that, it's, it's the toughest conference in America. I don't think anyone can really argue that is something really significant. So we're going to get into your Spartans tenure, what you've done this year, and what's ahead in segment two. But first, Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by BetterHelp. As we enter 2024, what are some things you want to keep the same about yourself? And what are some things that maybe you want to work on? Right around New Year's, we get obsessed with how we change ourselves. But part of what we're doing is just expanding on what we're already doing right. And one of the ways in which we identify what those things are is therapy. So BetterHelp gives you an opportunity to do this work on yourself. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Here's how it works. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, dot com slash LockedOnNBA. Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. And so the NFL season is into the playoffs. It's no longer the season for the Cowboys or for the Eagles, but... There's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book, and you're able to do so with no risk to you. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. Use them on everything, over, under, same game parlays. You just find the different bets in the new Explore tab. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make that first bet today. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Back with Michigan State head coach Robin Fralick. And so take me through that moment you arrive at Michigan State and how quickly you thought you could turn this team into The type of team that you have become and, you know, the consistency of it and, again, a team that, uh, first of all, is a joy to watch for all the reasons we talked about. Ball movement is great offense. It's also very uh, aesthetically pleasing offense. But just to do it so fast, you know, is this where you thought you'd be on day one, in year one?
1: I I had no idea. Um, I had no idea. And it's interesting because when I took over at Bowling Green, you know, our third season, we, we went from literally last to first. So our second year, we'd finished last in the league. And our third year, we won the league. So we had a complete turnaround. And I get asked all the time, oh, did you know? No, I I have no idea, right? You kind of have no idea when things stick or when there's a breakthrough. But what I do know is that me and my staff, we're fortunate we've worked together for a long time. And there's a plan and an organizational system for how we teach and what we teach and how we implement it. And fortunately, taking over at Michigan State, we also had a a lot of players returning with experience and the big 10, a team that had uh, been a pretty high assist team. So it wasn't like we were going from a all ISO team to, to trying to get us to, to learn to pass and share it. Um, so there had been some, you know, built in overlap um, to an extent. And I think our staff just, we have a plan and we stick with it and you just don't know when the breakthrough will happen. But I do know that if you are consistent and clear, and have reasons for what you do, and you kind of connect the dots and kids understand it, at some point it clicks.
0: It it clicks, but it's also, and and it's just a thing I want to unpack a little bit that you said before, that there are tweets, there are different things you do based on personnel. And so clearly in this case, you have, brought in a system, but you've adopted to the fact that six of your top seven minute getters are returnees. Uh, you know, you, you brought in Jocelyn Tate, and, and we'll talk about that and why that matters so much to have that kind of continuity from Bowling Green. But, you know, these are players you inherited. So what is that process like? Are you breaking down film and saying, gee, I see that, uh, that Moira is able to do something more here than she's doing, you know, because her numbers in particular have obviously gone to, I mean, another level doesn't even begin to describe it.
1: Yeah. Well, some of it too is opportunity. Uh, I mean, a lot of them are getting more opportunities than they, than they have. And some of that is because they've earned it. Some of it's because, you know, of, of the way our team and roster is made up, but um, the opportunity piece is a big piece of it. And the other, the other part is, not only are we systematic about what we teach and how we teach it, but we're systematic about what it looks like to get better. So, uh, fortunately, I was at Division II 10 years. So, when you're at Division II, player development is really important. You know, at Division II, there's not five stars coming um, ready-made to just go change the game. Now, granted, I coached a lot of really good players at that level, a lot of All-Americans, but the player development piece, and, and most of my staff actually was in Division Two as well. So the player development piece has been deeply ingrained in us of what it looks like to get better. And I don't care where you start, everybody has an ability to improve. And a huge part of improving is you if you shoot the ball better, right, the game is easier for everybody. Um, and it, we don't need to make tricky shots, but you got to be able to make shots. And so we spent a lot of time, too, with what it looks like to have a plan to be a confident, consistent shooter, okay? And then with that, right, now offense, the things we do become a little easier too.
0: I mean, good shots and where you're taking them and finding them, it's hard to find a shot chart. And and, and again, I, I understand that this may not be what everyone enjoys the most, but what I love in my spare time is looking at shot charts. And so the fact that you guys have 6.6% of your attempts from the mid-range per CBB analytics. It's just, it's glorious. It's something comparable to, you know, frankly, of all the coaches we've had on the program this season, I think Utah is only close and you're even ahead of Utah and what Lynn Roberts is doing over there. And Lynn's had years to put that system into place. How do you go about doing that? You know, it, it, at practice, is the floor electrified between the twelve and eighteen foot margin? Like, how do you kind of ingrain that in players? Because you've done it and you've done it so quickly.
1: Well, some of it is just our offense too. The shots we get are, are at the rim, or or from three, or free throws, and you know we can feel. However, there's I think analytics are important. I don't think they tell the whole story, but they're an important part of the story. They're an important part, I think, of adjustments and and um, context. And so, um, you know, if you look offensively, that matters, like the type of shots you get better. Um, and the game has changed dramatically with the three point line. That, that's a big, big difference. Um, but a lot of it is just the, our offense generates shots in those spots. Um, and they're just better shots over the course of the entire game. There's granted, I think there's some really, really good mid-range players. I think the higher up you go, that shot becomes a little more important because of the size. You know, you look in the WNBA, there's just so much size and rim protection. Um, So I I understand the importance of it, um, but it's also just a harder shot and it's it's not worth a lot for being a, a harder shot. So um, a big part of it is really just kind of what the type of shots our offense creates. And I love that you shared about Utah because they're a team that I've paid very close attention to. Um, I'm actually pretty good friends with one of the assistants and you know there's someone I've watched a lot of film on um, because I really appreciate the way they play um, and the way they generate good offense through team basketball. So um, definitely some similarities in and, and a team that I've admired and, and learned a lot from.
0: Uh, also a fascinating watch and, and and something that I really enjoyed was getting to see. They came east. We were able to see them up close uh, last month, as a matter of fact. But it, you, to go back to the results that come along with it, you guys are fourth overall in offensive points per possession in, in the nation. And you're doing it against, you know, some of the most difficult defenses Day in and day out. So, you know, you're on quite a run. We're recording this on Thursday, January 11th. So we're doing it ahead of that game at Ohio State coming up this weekend. And you are on quite a run, having won five of six. I just want to point out, because it's the one game that you didn't win, but I feel like it was so instructive. And it was that game against Iowa. And so that game is 76-73. If you had asked anybody coming in what that game was likely to be, we all would have said in the 90s, right, on both sides because of the offenses that they have. And I just I wonder what you saw defensively out of your team, what it means there, and kind of where you need that to be. And just to kind of preface it, when I've talked to Lisa Bluter in the past with Iowa, she's always talked about, all right, we're going to be a top five Uh, offense in the league uh, and a top five offense in the nation. We need to be top 50 defensively, and then we're going to be contenders to be the national title uh, winners or near or close to it the way she was last year. What are your metrics like defensively? And what did you see in that game that led you to believe you could get there?
1: Well Iowa is such a tough matchup uh for so many reasons obviously particularly with Caitlin Clark who in my opinion I think is the best player in the history of the game on the women's side um and so we put a, we put a lot of energy into the defensive end that game and and it, and I actually thought we had a very choppy offensive game and um kind of got did some big things in the first half we turned it over just We turned it over more than we normally do on some just kind of silly, silly plays. Um, But defensively, we had a very, very specific game plan for them. I think they require that. We knew getting – I think both teams knew how important it was to take away transition. So, you know, I think we were both hustling back, and and neither team really got much in transition, which has been, you know, important for for both of us offensively. And we kind of – it ended up being more of a grind-out-in-the-half-court sort of game. Um, but there are some things that we felt like we had to take away off uh, Iowa offensively is, is so dynamic that they're hard to keep up with from just a scoring perspective. So defensively, I thought we, we gave, obviously we gave ourselves a chance to win. Um, and what I challenged the team with afterwards is, okay, thought against Penn State offensively, we were dialed in and defensively, we weren't at a high enough level. Then we go into the Iowa game and I thought defensively we were at a high enough level. But offensively, we we kind of lost some energy, so it's like, all right, we got to do it on both end. You know that that is required in this league on both ends of the court, um, night in and night out. But yeah, interesting game it was. It was both it much slower and and m- much less points in transition for both teams in that game.
0: It is fascinating. I will just I have to point out as a, a point to our listeners. Oh oh my God, so many turnovers. You you had fifteen, which is a lot for you guys, but is not a lot for most other teams in America. <laughs> like, I think you've only had more than that once.
1: Second quarter, we had these crazy turnovers that just led to easy points for them. So those were those were frustrating.
0: That that is fair. I know, and and the live ball turnovers will keep you up nights. I I know that as well. So it, it's it's fascinating. They're on that final play, and we'll we'll get to it more right after this break, but. Moira Joyner did everything she was supposed to do on that play. I want to talk about her both sides of the ball right after this. But first. Locked on women's basketball is brought to you by Jace Medical. Now, look, I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life. But let's just talk for a second about preparing for real life so you can escape safely. According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. This is scary. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if one member of my family got sick while the supply chain issue kept them from life-saving medication they needed. Thankfully, we'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, and more. This stuff could happen to any of us. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. Go to jacemedical.com and use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. So back with Coach Robin Freilich of Michigan State. And so I want to focus on that play, not because of the Caitlin Clark part. And you're right, you, you know, Caitlin, you uh, Not getting a lot of publicity, but I think you know, sort of an up and coming player who has a chance to do some good things in this game. (laughs) But you know, getting to 40 points. And and again, you you guys held her to 40 points. I know that sounds odd, but on 34 shots, I mean, that is that you guys did did the job. You know, and 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 even in that final play and making that shot from the logo, perfectly defended. At that point, you, you tip your cap to a player. Of Clark's caliber, but for, for Moira to have that type of defensive energy in that moment, there's just a couple of things that she's doing that I don't think people are necessarily paying as much attention to here in what is year five. And one of them is is that she's doing the Elena Deladon thing. She's 50, 40, 90 right now. She is absolutely beyond efficient on the offensive side of the ball and then the other thing she's doing and and i I, obviously she's a fundamentally different player from elena but the other way that the shape of her game statistically is very similar is she's single digits in turnover percentage elena of course the all-time wnba leader uh in turnover percentage and i just wonder What has allowed her to make this type of leap forward? She's obviously been one of the most successful players in program history coming into this, but these numbers are far and away beyond where she was even last year as a really established part of this team.
1: The best way I can describe Mo is is she's, she's a winner. And so I think when you have that mentality, one, you get better. um, And you focus on things that help your team win. So I think even if she heard those things you just shared, she'd have no idea. You know, it's, and we ask her to guard the other team's best player a lot. Um, We ask her to create a lot offensively. Obviously she's been a a dynamic scorer while taking good care of the ball. Um, And you just can't teach experience. I think you learn so much. She's been through sort of the grind of the big 10. She's always up for the challenge But I don't think that she doesn't worry about those things, which is why I think it allows her to be successful. She has a plan. She's a kid that's in the gym consistently. Um, And then, honestly, whatever it is in a game that could help us win, she's she's up for. So, so much of it is so much of being successful is worrying about the right things. And usually when you worry about the right things, good things happen.
0: It clearly is the case that she buys into what you guys are doing overall. Her effective field goal percentage, as I said, it stands out, but it doesn't stand out that much on this team that's top five in the country when it comes to that. Just in terms of like a pure shooting regimen that you talked about having her in the gym all the time, having folks in the gym all the time, how much do you typically want your players shooting? What's like the day-to-day reps like? for that and how important does that play a role in you guys? It's one thing to get the good shots, but it's just you guys, every one of your teams knocks them down.
1: Well, I'd say most of our kids have about a 20 minute shooting plan every day. It doesn't, it nothing about it has to be crazy. Almost all of them are in the gym 20 Mm -hmm. minutes before we start practice or before we go to film. Uh, I'm grateful for coaching staff that loves to be on the court like I shared. We all came up from the division two level. So when you come up from that level you're used to being the coach, the rebounder, the bus driver, you know whatever whatever that looks like. So I've I've got a coaching staff that loves to be on the court with the kids, and I think when kids know that the coaches want to be on the court, they get on the court more. Um, but yeah, I'd say for most kids, it's a, it looks like a consistent 20-minute plan. At this point, it's never about volume, just about um, being sharp, like. We had a kid in the gym the other day who made five threes in a row from five spots. And that means that's good, right? That means you're shooting the ball well and, and that's enough. And get into practice. So, um, you know, culture, we talk a lot about culture and there's so many pieces that go to it, but I think one thing that's under talked about is in good culture, there's just good systems, right? There's good organizational systems of what every day looks like. What does shooting look like? What does lifting look like? What does pre-practice look like? So we've worked really hard to create s- systems so our kids can thrive in those.
0: And then bringing Jocelyn Tate with you from Bowling Green, having her come and join Michigan State. How useful is that as a coach trying to implement a new system to have somebody who was steeped in the culture where you just came from? And is that even a conversation you're having with her ahead of time? Or is that something where you just understand that shouldn't be part, part of the package deal when she comes?
1: Well, she's such a uh, she's such a special kid, and as much as she's such a versatile, that kind of dynamic player, and and really fits in the way that we play. She can guard a lot of spots. She creates a lot. Um, the bigger thing is, she's just she is a wonderful kid. She is a wonderful kid, and she has brought just she brings a real joy. She's fun. She's funny. She's silly. So she's just she brings this uh, this joy and this lightness. Um, to what we do every day and then she's been a bridge obviously coming in with a new staff and and there's you know everybody's sort of trying to figure each other out especially when you when you first are uh, working together and I think she's been a great bridge for the team and for the staff of of what what this looks like and what it's about and uh, obviously we believe really wholeheartedly believe in her and she wholeheartedly believes in us so uh, we're really glad she came.
0: It's obviously at some level, a disappointment for you guys last year not to reach the NCAA tournament at Bowling Green. You guys made a great run. You ended up losing in the WNIT to a team that I am certain should have been in the NCAA field in Columbia. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And- that's the part about mid major. That's that's the you know, that is the heartbreak piece right. you pretty much have to win the tournament. It comes down to three games regardless of how, you know, the body of work over the course of the season.
0: We could probably have a long discussion about why I think that is outmoded thinking and should be a whole other reset for how the NCAA tournament operates, of course. Um, but I, I'm sure at some level you feel okay about that and feel differently here now at the Big Ten. And so when you think about this team, and, and again, we talked about, you know, not knowing what you had, in year one. We've got a statistically significant sample now. We're 15 games in. We see what a team like Michigan State is able to do. Do your goals for the season change? And is the NCAA tournament the thing you're looking at, either whether it's something you're talking about consistently uh, or just on your mind, in the back of your mind, understanding that you got to keep players focused on game in and game out? I just wonder sort of how you navigate
1: that we're just so process oriented. I think you can zoom out a little bit. I think zooming out helps you to remember how to zoom in, right? Like big goals help you to remember daily goals. But I think the thing that the team has talked about the most, and this has come from them is the NCAA tournament. That that's something that they have that is important for them. That is definitely um, something as a program we have talked about, but the reality is, There's so many games that go into that. There's so many nights that go into that. And so you've got to be able to zoom out on that being important, but zoom in on, okay, what does that look like today? Right. What does that look like? What does that look like in the details of today?
0: It is fascinating to see how those details of today are playing into the long legacy of success that you are continuing at Michigan State. So, Coach, I appreciate your time here. Thank you for sharing some of those insights into us and uh, to our listeners, of course. Thank you for joining us as you do every day. We will be back with you tomorrow as we are six days a week. Until then, I am Howard Magdal, wishing all of you a wonderful day. Welcome